This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here with the pleasant task of talking about the defense after that win in London and what a defensive effort it was over the Titans in the 24-16 win. Joining me here, very appropriately, to talk about this is James Ogden of UK Ravens. James, how you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks very much. And a pleasure to meet you this weekend in person. Was was an absolute pleasure. You people were fantastic hosts, great events uh, on both days. We actually searched around for the second event a little bit, had some trouble, but we'd already spent uh, some great time on uh, Saturday afternoon uh, meeting a bunch of UK Ravens people. Uh, uh, Dave Crescent, I know, who's the, the founder uh, there, Gaz and Ben and Shane and Ian, uh, James, of course, and uh uh, Gordon McGinnis of PFF, a lot of people know he was there, so I had a good, good chance to talk to him about some about some uh, uh, PFF uh, stuff, inner workings. It was a lot of fun. Uh, also met uh, Frank M., I will just call him because I can't necessarily pronounce his last name, of Dutch Flock, who gave us a nice flag there. So great opportunity to meet the European flag, uh, uh, fans while we were over there. And, uh, and certainly a great, great weekend it turned out to be after that win on Sunday. Yeah, it was fantastic, Ken. We 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 had a an amazing time. We we've been planning it for quite a while. Um, I think we were really proud of the of the events that we put on as well because this was this is something that you know we didn't get any kind of help from NFL UK or anything. We got a lot of help from the Ravens, who obviously are a kind mm-hmm. of first class organization and and uh, and really really came through for us. But to to be able to put on the event we put on on the Saturday with 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 uh, about 400 people in a in a bar in central London. Um, and then on the Sunday to do a tailgate, which had 500 to 600 people there uh, with a lot of a lot of Americans who made the trip over coming on the, to the tailgate um, and sort of mentioning that it, they felt like it was the the most kind of American style uh, event that they'd ever been to over on the, as part of the London games. And that was kind of what we were aiming for. We, I think uh, if you, Bobby Trossett came, he mentioned he felt like it was fed hill at one point in uh in one of the events so i think that was what we were kind of aiming for to get people to feel like it was it was a, a, a sort of typical american style kind of weekend for a for a big game um and uh, hopefully people enjoyed themselves they, they certainly seem to Def, definitely a ton of fun and raven's cheerleaders were just showing up as as we left which was which was kind of cool that you guys got that done. But let's get to the game itself because I think that's what people are tuned in to hear here. Uh, thoroughly dominating performance. Ended up just an eight-point win, but, boy, the, the, in terms of the play on the field, a lot different than that. Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, it, it was uh, you know we we joke in the UK Ravens that we don't we don't talk about the the game that never happened seven years ago um, against yeah. the Jags at Wembley. Uh, this was a complete the complete opposite, and actually felt like a bit of a turnaround. Uh, it sort of seemed like certainly for the first half and to the, to an extent in the second half as well, it, it showed that the Titans were the team that turned up at, at six a.m. on Friday, and the Ravens had been had been in London for for as long as they had and. 
And uh, I, I saw John Harbour in the press conference sort of talking about how, um, you know, the, the sort of grateful to the Ravens organization and to the Bashai family for being able to to put that on because they 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 came over, they spent a lot of money and and made sure that they got away with that win. Uh, and I think it, it, you know, the 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 expense they they that they used to to to, uh, to get that win really paid off. They they did get a payoff on that. That's for sure. Once again, uh, totally overwhelmed the Titans with a four man pass rush. Uh, twenty three of their twenty seven pass plays that resulted in a pass or sack were four man rush. So uh, great to see the Ravens continue this trend of really not rushing numbers and still getting tremendous results. Yeah, really, really great. And and uh, this game less so. I think um, you'll point out with the numbers less so with um, simulated pressures and more with more with lots, of, right. lots of stunts, um, which uh, sort of f- felt like that on the watch back. And then I saw your numbers, and that sort of confirmed that. Right. We'll hit that up in the pass rush a little bit later. They're they're now tied for the NFL lead in sacks with Buffalo at twenty four, which seems incredible. The four sack a game pace, I'm sure, is not sustainable, but it's still exceptional to be in this spot at this point in the season. And, and, and definitely uh, the Ravens have done it with combination pressures. They are not getting many single man to the quarterback type of type of sacks. Uh, so it's uh, it's done with one man pressure, second man pressure. Sometimes third man cleans up uh, just a lot of really great team pressure. Yeah, hundred percent, and and uh, great to see uh, to see Clowney uh, able to make a tackle on the quarterback this week as well. Yeah, it's, uh, somebody else is missing the sack on the quarterback this time. That, that Van Noy missed one, and then he had another one wiped out by penalty before he finally scored the final minute of the game. There, uh, Ravens developing now. One of the big, I, I think, worry points is they're short at safety, which we never would have expected at the start of the season with all of the depth they had there, um, but they lost. Williams in the game to what was said to be a hamstring injury, but honestly looked like he's playing with one arm before the hamstring injury really kind of sidled up to uh, Henry on that long run before he finally knocked him out of bounds and also didn't have much to use in terms of a paw on the 15 yard touchdown run by Henry either. No. And also there was the, the, uh, the play where he, he, he probably, it's tough because it, he was he was running over there fast, but a two-armed Marcus Williams might have made the interception in the um, uh, was it the second half I think uh, as he was running across the field. Uh, so yeah, it, he was definitely limited, and and it felt like the the kind of the Henry hit was sort of just just sort of finished him off and was was the kind of the, the end of that game. It, it is going to be interesting. Part of me would wish that they would just keep him out now for a few weeks regardless of how serious that hamstring is and just let him get a bit more recovered but there's also the worry that that i mean i'm not a doctor obviously but there's also the worry that that pec injury is is just is not necessarily going to get better until he gets the surgery i i think that's the obvious concern at this point is even if he plays with a good hamstring and even the hamstring is good again then it may maybe that he needs to get the surgery and i'm afraid that if he waits to the end of the season to get the surgery then it's going to knock him out for summer next year so Knock him out this year when he's playing with one arm doesn't seem to be as bad a choice. But uh, tough, tough to you know have a free agent you sign for big money and have it not work out so quickly in such a big way. But on the other hand, Geno Stone has been one of the best safeties in the league. You know he's sitting up there with three interceptions now in the eight-way tie for the National Football League lead. Um, and uh, you know it's it's uh, he's he's at least playing well. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I'm a big fan of Gino Stone. I'm sure we'll get into Gino at some point in the. In the I in am the, sure we will too. You think a play of his might come up at some point in this? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm getting a little bit of feedback, just just so you know, on your hair brushing against the microphone. So uh, I don't know how we can make that better, but hopefully, yeah. Uh, let's let's keep going here because we got a, we got a a few things to talk about, and then we're going to get into a, a a new format for this particular program, which is just going to go through every play of the game. And part of that is is due to travel and some restrictions we've had in terms of compiling everything. Did finally get everything done, but not not in the way I usually do it. So we're going to go through the, each play of the game. Uh, continue on to the safety thing. Nice to see Brandon Stevens step in at the end of the game and play strong safety, which I was really trying to figure out exactly how they were going to do it, whether it would be a corner moving back there, whether it might be Mollett moving back there, but ends up being Stevens, who has a little bit of experience, of course, at safety. Yeah, it's interesting. We kind of hope that that doesn't become a uh, a long-term thing just because I've been so impressed with him at corner um, with the strides he's made at corner over over the course of the season. So, uh, but, but good to see him still able to sort of step in there. Yeah, I, I guess the safety problem is a little bit amplified by the fact that Mollett did not play well in this game at slot corner. Now, he had played well in previous games, in all fairness, but he did not play well in this game. Had a couple penalties, um, really didn't look that good. And Hamilton can move up and play his spot. And I actually think that's how the Ravens are strongest if they have two good safeties. And somehow they're down to, you know, one good safety right now. Now they can have, I guess, Stone and Hamilton play the back end next game. But if they if if it's Stone and Williams, I'm a little concerned about that pairing uh, as a every down uh, thing the Ravens go with after seeing the way Williams has looked these last two weeks. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just the the real challenge is that it just it sort of it compromises what the the versatility of the defense. It compromises the things that um Mike McDonald is able to do because it, it means he has to start putting yeah, you know, he at the moment he has players playing in, in roles that really, really suit their their skill set. Um but if he has to start, you know, using them slightly differently. So if he has to start using Cal Hamilton more as a traditional safety, using him very effectively in this game while he was in, um, as a sort of as a uh, yeah, a bit of a neutralizer, basically, yeah, as a linebacker, basically a run game neutralizer. Um uh, like if he has to start using him more as a traditional safety because of the injuries, then you, you lose that element to the, the Ravens defense. And so it starts to make him have to be more creative with the way he, with the way he game plans. I think, I think, I think the, 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 the versatility of the Ravens defense and particularly going between now, one of the only two packages the team plays, which is remarkable because the Ravens used to be so multiple under Wink and, and in fact, under McDonald to a lesser extent as well. But, in years past, all previous defensive coordinators, extremely multiple in terms of how they look. But there's a couple of things that have made the Ravens very specific in their packages. And the primary thing is having two inside linebackers that want to keep on the play on the field every play, because that basically eliminates the dime defense. So they're down to just nickel and base that they ever play. Now, you can play great nickel and base defense if you have Kyle Hamilton playing nickel in a nickel, and you have Kyle Hamilton playing strong safety in your base defense. And he is the ultimate versatility piece in terms of that. But if you don't really have that option because you kind of always need him at strong safety, then you lose the, the flexibility to play nickel versus 12. And, and playing nickel and stopping the run when you have a six-man box has been the hallmark of the great Ravens defensive teams of all time. They've always been able to do it, but they've always had 
players like Ray Lewis, players like Terrell Suggs at, at, at edge, and great interior defensive linemen like Holy Nada, Kelly Gregg, Sam Adams, all those guys uh, over the years who've been able to uh, uh, really help stop the run with a, with a lighter box. And Hamilton is the ideal player you want at safety who can give you things in coverage, but also is a tremendous run defender. Yeah, and that's been the you're right that that has been the hallmark of, of this defense through the through the first um, weeks of the season. So it, it will be frustrating if they if they lose that. I, I kind of do trust McDonald to 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 be creative and to get something to get something done. But I think what what I've noticed over the course of his sort of now year and a bit in role as defensive coordinator is that I, I like that he's sort of taken a little bit from a, I think from a, and he, I don't know whether he would say this, but I feel like he's taken a little bit from a divisional foe in, in Lou Anarumo because Anarumo's defense is very difficult to go against or was very difficult to go against uh, in the last few years because of the way it sort of chameleon-esque is able to change form on the back end from post-snap, pre-snap, post-snap, and how his the the sort of experience of his defensive backs and playing together as a unit enables them to do things, re- react on the fly and do things very differently to other defenses. And I feel that has been... So they've changed personnel a little bit. So yeah, it's probably not exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. But the the way they are able to play on the on the back end has reminded me a little bit of the way Anarumo plays uh, gets his his back end to play on, on for the Bengals um, and so you'll sort of but Hamilton as you've mentioned is just a, is just a, a very key piece to that to that to that uh, strategy and so to to lose him to to sort of lose him from that position will be will be difficult We'll, we'll probably hit on this on some individual plays, but it's maybe an overriding note that we want to touch on is this is the first game the Ravens didn't really lean on cover two the same way. And, and you kind of expect that because it's the Tennessee Titans and, and you know, they've got a good, known for a great running game, uh, known for a good play action passing game as well, of course, but they're known for a great running game more than anything else. And so what the, what the Ravens really did was move Kyle Hamilton um, when they were in base defense up into the box as a third linebacker with four down in front of him, or sorry, with five down in front of him, five, well, sorry, five at the line of scrimmage in front of him, three down and two outside linebackers, um, and and effectively used him that way, which which was effective in the early parts of the game. Uh, and they, they were with single high, so Marcus Williams was doing that for the early part of the game. Uh, he made one great play that you already talked about where he came across the field, got the pass defense, um, uh, otherwise, uh, not a great game again, honestly, for Marcus. So a lot of a lot of problems. I, I thought at the halftime, I thought that was the biggest play of the first half because it really showed that Hamilton could, uh, sorry, that, that uh, Williams could get his hand up and deflect a pass. And that was something I was a little concerned about. But then the second half, we saw a lot of the tackling problems come back and, and, um, and that became an issue again. Yeah, the tackling. The, yeah, uh, it, it's it just the, the thing as well as this. This through uh, they've had a few more problems. I think in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure what your your um, charting would say again, but the, mm-hmm. it feels like this is a very this is a pretty good Ravens tackling team, a, a yeah. very good Ravens tackling defense this season. And so Williams just it, it, the last couple of weeks is really stuck out because it, against a backdrop of of a, a crew of very excellent tacklers, it sort of sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb. Yeah, it, it does. They, they had other problems in this game. They missed a few yeah. tackles and it's kind of hard because you get really definitional on that Spears screen pass. Cause there's a lot of guys who like ran themselves out of position on the play and Tajay Spears is very elusive. So you expect that to happen. 
but they also had a bunch of missed tackles um, otherwise uh, in this game, some on the run, some on the pass, where they just could not get it done. Um, they also had some good missed tackles in the game. Uh, you know, I, I, we had at one point Van Noy miss a tackle at minus seven on a sack, and, and Clowney turned it into a sack minus nine. So we'll talk a little bit about – we'll go through the plays in just a minute. Like, I really kind of want to get to that pretty quickly. A couple other real quick things before we move on, though. I think the Ravens do need a safety, a new safety for the Lions game, and they've cleared a spot on the practice squad today by cutting Kenyon Drake, and I do expect them to go after and go out and get someone uh, coming up. I think that's that's probably going to happen. Yeah, it seems it would make sense. I think. I think you know that the Ravens will be fine with Geno Stone stepping in for Marcus Williams, but as we've discussed, it just changes the dynamic, and so they will have to add some depth there. And I, I agree with you. And they, they were really good early in the season. Daryl Worley stepped in and was outstanding in that back end role, which allowed Hamilton to move up front. That's what they need again. And they had that guy on the roster that I think could do that because it's a split safety you're really looking for. So Deron Harmon, you know, with his free safety background, would have been perfect for that. Um, and unfortunately, he's gone now. They did get the Andre Carson, Houston Carson, Houston Carson back. Uh, so he played a little bit of the preseason wasn't great, but uh, you know he might be a guy that that can um, uh, that can step in for the Ravens in a very specialized role and and do something. I do ex- I think he's the most likely to be activated uh, against the Lions. All right, the Ravens won the snap count battle seventy to forty six, which is something I've been complaining about a lot with the Monk and offense is that it really hasn't retained the ball. But this is this is a defensive and offensive effort here. They went eight to sixteen on third down themselves. The Lions only went. The uh, Titans went one of nine, so definitely a, a you know a combination of, of of positive influences to get to seventy to forty six. Ravens also did a great job in the first half of monopolizing the ball beginning and end, which is what you really want to see. So they they started with the ball, had long drives, and they finished with a long drive. Then they punted finally, and then they got it right back and kicked the field goal with one second. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll get into this on your offensive show. It's frustrating to the, to see uh, the red zone offense sort of fall off a cliff in this game. But the long drives were there, which uh, you're right. It's it, been a bit of a feature of of, recent, of some of the of some of the games this this uh, this season of sort of asking the defense to 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 step up too many times, um, basically. But that wasn't the case in this game. Yeah, really, really key in this game because they had 46 defensive snaps and they lost Brent Urban early. And this is when you play the Titans, you have to play a lot of base defense. We'll get into that, but they played almost half base defense, which means on half the plays, you need three defensive linemen. You only have five active. So basically, when you when you're down to four after Brent Urban is is out, you have to use like two and a half out of four every play. Think of it that way. And that means you're playing every defensive lineman is averaging sixty two and a half percent of the snaps. So that's too high yeah. by normal standards. You probably want your 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 most used defensive lineman around a little over half the snaps, maybe depending on who they are, a little bit over half the snaps. But uh, but they didn't have because of the number was small. They didn't have anybody go over thirty seven in this game. Yeah, and I think the the thing one of the things that that did expose in this game, and like like you said, I'm sure we'll get into it, is um, there were times when they had to have Travis Jones and Tavius Robinson on the field at the same time mm-hmm. on the same side of the defensive line. And the Titans had a bit of success running at those guys. Those guys are at the early part of their developmental curve with the Ravens. I mean, the Ravens renowned for developing defensive linemen. And I, I, I 
you know, see flashes with both of those guys that would uh, would show some potential in the future for a third, fourth year breakout for those guys. But at the moment, asking them to play too much together on a defensive line is a potential struggle. The thing that really helps the Ravens, which I know we'll definitely get into, is that Justin Matabike had one of his best games as a Raven, I think, um, and sort of showcase some of the, the, the reasons why he's... Um, you know, certainly a candidate for an extension, I think. And, and, you know, like I said, I think we'll talk about that, but that really helped sort of paper over that crack a bit, a little, a little bit, I think. Yeah, he, he, he was terrific. I thought Pierce was terrific too, honestly, though I saw PFF did great and very well. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, no doubt. Um, the Ravens ended the Titans absolutely historic streak of goal to go success. So I want to go over this a little bit because the Titans, I think it was mentioned by Eisen on the broadcast. And, he, and, and they said they had the longest streak this century of consecutive red zone success or something. He wasn't very specific about it. I think he means games that they hadn't failed on a, sorry, not a red zone, a goal to go opportunity in some number of consecutive games. And I looked it up and they actually have not failed since November of last year. I think it's 12 consecutive games they played without a failure. They have made 23 of their last 24 over a year and a half. They only missed once last year. Um, so going back to December of 2021, they'd been 23 out of 24. Against the Ravens, 0 for 2. It, it, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I, I, I obviously was at the game, so I didn't hear the broadcast. And then I've watched the All-22, so I, I haven't. <laughs> I didn't hear the broadcast. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty remarkable, really, isn't it? And it does speak to the caliber of this defense this year. You know what's weird about it is they, they, they're basically perfect in, in goal-to-go situations, and they're terrible in the red zone. They're 35% red zone team. So it's like, how do you make sense of this? You know, it's basically they always get stopped between the 20 and the 10. 10, 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, tell you what, why don't we jump in right away into the play-by-play review of this game. And, and I will, we can do it how you like here. I think you've probably got notes on this, but why don't we treat it like I'm the announcer and you're the color guy and we'll have a little back and forth on any play you'd like to. And I'll just go through uh, defensively play-by-play. We've done this once before with Sarah. I love doing it, but uh, but if I'm doing this with you, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun as well. Uh, so quarter one, 10-26, the Titans finally get the ball down three points. Uh, we're not going to go over the kickoffs of this situation. Uh, one of two times that they threw one of these little shovel, what ends up being a pass because it's a forward lateral, uh, but it's almost directly sideways from Tannehill to uh, to Henry. Uh, he took it for minus four plus 11. Uh, we had some good blocking on the play. The uh, the right guard Brunskill blocked uh, uh, Matabike. The tight end pancaked, uh, that was Wesco, pancake clowning on the play. The center pancake Mollette. Bad to have all these pancakes occurring once. And the right tackle, 66, I'm forgetting who that is, blocked uh, uh, blocked Queen. So uh, pretty well-blocked play to gain uh, seven yards on that first one. Yeah, 66 Hubbard, I think, isn't it? On the- Hubbard, you're right, yes. Um, yeah, they, that, that was – it was interesting because that first play was kind of like a – uh, you worried that it was a bit of a harbinger <laughs> for, the, for the rest of the game. Um, but it was one of the few times that they were able to get the defensive line um, blocked up as well as they did. Um, it, it, various plays throughout the game that, we'll, that I'm sure we'll go through just did that did not happen. They were not able to, um, to get what they wanted to get done on the offensive line. Um, most of, lots of it matter BK and Pierce is, uh, Pierce is doing. And obviously, 
uh, Queen and and uh, Roquan Smith sort of uh, running riot as well. But on this on this play in particular, it was a it was a struggle to get anybody um, to Derrick Henry. I'll bring up one more point here: is that um, they gave the start to Jadavian Clowning, and they don't need to, but Harbaugh often does that kind of thing. He was only in for three run plays the whole game. They ran for twenty four yards on those three plays. It was Harrison who played a lot of the early down Sam linebacker snaps on that side. And Harrison has been a terrific edge setter this year. Uh, and he really got the job done, I thought, in this game as well. He really did. I, I didn't know about Harrison. It, it's it, He he continues to be a really useful player to deploy in these type of games. Uh, you, you, you don't want to get him one-on-one with with an elite tight end in the league um which you which is liable to do it in some games so you know you've got to use him sparingly in certain games but in contests like this where you're not worried about the tight end hurting you um he is such a useful guy to to throw out there and to set the to set the edge because he you know these tight ends for the for the titans uh you know chica conquo has shown a little bit throughout throughout his career so far but not enough for you to be concerned and i feel like harrison was a a really useful guy in this game and and just shows the the value his value to the team i think um at this point now you know it's it's a sort of you know he was a third third round draft pick and and to me he's he's turned into what the ravens probably envisaged for him when they took him um, oh, no i think i think much different do you think how would you think <laughs> yeah well see he was drafted really as a two down mike to, to my way of thinking not really the guy who would be a passing down now he's an outside linebacker his body shape has changed and i i, I don't mean to contradict you like that but you know you know how it goes. no I, th- I think you're right. I, th- I, I think you're right in the sense that they probably didn't see him as a Sam, but I, I, I do remember them talking about the pick as a, um, you know, a guy who you don't often see in college anymore, a, a bigger linebacker that would be able to do the types of things that they have him doing now on the field. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think they necessarily saw him as a, as an edge setting Sam, but that that was probably a kind of backup plan that if they needed to, at some point that might be the case. It just because of the, his, his play style in college, I think would lend itself well to this type of. They, they definitely, I, I trust your judgment on the draft stuff, by the way, completely great, great draft uh, uh, guide every year. I, I will say that he, he came in the league at just a, a shade under 240 or maybe exactly 240. Do you know what he lists out on the Ravens roster this year? I don't know. 259. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I mean, he's so he's he grown into a, into a sand body and and, uh, yeah. and definitely is a, a great edge player. Well, let me continue yeah. going here because we spend that much time on every play. We'll never get there. Nine, <laughs> 9.53. Uh, we had a little run right for one. And, and this is Clowney still on the field on this play. He undercut, then shed a convo, which I thought was pretty pretty good play by him. Um, I think PFF might have tagged him with a missed tackle on this play because he, he got his hand out and he actually got a nice redirection on um, uh, Henry to push him to the outside. Uh, that first contact lined him up nicely so Humphrey could take him down. That's not an easy tackle for Humphrey to make normally, but when uh, Henry is not lined up to line a scrimmage, it's a much easier situation. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, uh, you've said it all on this play. That's, um, if, I, if I go on on every single play, we're going to be here for, for several hours. <laughs> I, I don't want to monopolize the conversation here. Third and two. Uh, Henry, uh, sorry, uh, um, uh, Tannehill dropped back and, and threw for uh, Chris Moore, uh, seven yards between the numbers and the, and the left and the right hash, I should say. Uh, DPI on 44 on the play. Uh, I thought kind of ticky-tack. He definitely had, he definitely had some touch on there. It definitely was not the worst penalty of the game. Um, but 
I didn't like it. I didn't like in general the way Tennessee gesticulated and got flags. Yeah, and I didn't like the way. I'm sorry, I, Hopkins. I, I got it wrong. Hopkins. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I did not like the way. I, I agree with you. It certainly wasn't the worst call of the game, and there were a lot of ticky tack type defensive uh, defense holding, pass interference calls that just. Uh, <laughs> You know, you, you call that you you call, you you throw that flag. You're going to have to throw a flag pretty much on most plays um, in the NFL each week. Like it's there were there were, yeah, it it it, it didn't. I, I was not a fan of a lot of those flags. Maybe it was different. I I usually have a probably a more uh, neutral reaction watching it on TV, but being in being in the stadium uh, certainly gets you more riled up. But uh, I feel even having watched it back, I think I. I would say I, w- I would feel pretty secure in my analysis from watching it live, which is that it, I, some of those calls were some of those calls were fine, but some of them were just were were really not not what I would expect. I don't think. All right, well, let's keep going. Nine oh eight to go. Now they got a fresh set of downs. Obviously, after the DPI um, run play again, and we have Hamilton rush unblocked off the offensive right side to force twenty two inside. Good play there, by the way. Again, this is a case where I think PFF probably tagged Hamilton with a missed tackle on this play because I saw they had a couple for him in the game. Uh, maybe it was one, maybe it was two, but I think this is this would have been one. And he was kind of at the feet of Henry, but but wasn't able to completely wrap up and, and and get the job done. But what he did do is just by rushing off that edge, he forced the play inside where uh, the bodies were, and um, and and they got him taken down for a, a gain of just one up the middle. Um, to me, that's where and we had a little talk with Gordon about this at the UK Ravens event was was that PFF really needs a grading system for missed tackles. So rather than ask them to do it, I'm just going to I'm just going to do something myself next year. I think in terms of of you know scoring scoring missed tackles on a one two three four five basis for for severity. Yeah, and I think I think the one thing I wanted to talk about with this play was just um, the the. I, I I don't think he stands out particularly each week, but I think Sproddick Washington who made the tackle on this play, and I, I think it, he's a he's a useful anchor to that defensive line. You know, he's a he's a guy who is um, who is providing a level of consistency in his play that the the Ravens do need on that defensive line. You know, there's Madabike, thankfully has 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 developed into what we expected, and we'll talk about him in a bit. But Broderick Washington, for me, is is exactly what they signed into that contract to be, um, which is a reliable member of that defensive line. And, and obviously, he made the tackle on this play, so just thought I'd mention him at this point. Really nice shed of Wiley on the tight end on that play to make that tackle too. So uh, definitely positive. Move on to eight thirty of the game. So it's now second and nine. Ravens juiced up their pass rush for one of the only times in the game. And it's just an interesting point to pick it. But I guess you you throw it out there early during the scripted plays. You let them think about it during halftime. But they send a 7-0 pass rush. So a seven-man pass rush on this on this uh, second and nine play. And you did have Van Noy beat the tight end, Wesco, inside for pressure. But uh, Tannehill is a very good hot read player. And this is one reason why I don't think they used the blitz a lot in this game. But uh, he threw a pass for 11 yards to um, Westbrook Akina, right? I believe yep. it was for, it was, for yeah. seven plus four. Nice trailing tackle, honestly, by Stevens. There's not a lot he can do to defend that play easily when it's, when it's going across the field. But I thought he did a good job minimizing the damage. Yeah, and I think this was one of the the sort of uh, the bits of the game that, that this is one of the very few plays in the game that sort of showed why the Ravens had the defensive game plan they had in terms of pressure. Um, because Tannehill... Tannehill it gets a lot of um, 
takes a lot of flack for sort of being a sort of middle of the road type QB. But one of the things he's very good at is recognizing pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, if you put him in a situation where you're get, you, you don't want to, he, he doesn't have the weapons to be able to consistently win down the field. He has Hopkins, but if you take Hopkins away, there's just nothing else there in that passing attack, especially when Traylon Burks is out. Um, and Burks hasn't turned into what he, we a lot of people thought he was going to be um, anyway. So you don't want to give him the opportunity to do what he does best. Um, and I think that sort of showed on this play. It was like, as you say, it was kind of good that Stevens sort of cleaned it up for, for, for what, for what could have been a lot more than, than what it was. Um, but it's kind of the, it showed that the gamble of bringing pressure in that way probably isn't worth taking against a Ryan Tannehill team that only has DeAndre Hopkins to throw the ball to. Yeah, he's it, it, Tannehill's certainly known as being a great play action quarterback, a guy who, who can turn his back on the field, and, and he's more of a traditional turn his back guy. Also has the advantage of being a less mobile quarterback that um, the, the defensive end on the boot side does not respect his speed or getaway ability, so they don't look for it the way they would with with their laser focuses on Jackson when he tries to do anything like that. So, so that's worked out well for him. But I think he's just a lot like Roethlisberger in a, in a way – that as he got older, um, you know, reading hot was what Ben still did very well, even at that way. In fact, Roethlisberger had some other things, having big hands and whatnot, that would let him get rid of the football without rotating the laces perfectly. Uh, that was something that, that Tannehill may or may not have. But, but once, uh, once the Ravens got Tannehill out of the game, it really showed that, uh, that they, could, they were capable of doing some things differently. They, did, they still didn't, but they, <laughs> but they were capable of doing some things differently in this game. All right, let's move on. Um, so they got another first down here. The next play at 747. Uh, we have another 4-0. This one turns into an ample time and space opportunity. Uh, it ends up being a, um, a ball right between Smith and Queen in zone. Looked to me like Queen had responsibility for Henry, the running back, to the outside. So this was probably Roquan Smith's responsibility. Uh, play went for 11 yards, 6 plus 5. Uh, a little bit more than you'd like after the catch. I noticed Rich Eisen talking about the, the various players meeting at the quarterback and how Hamilton went shoulder to helmet. Um, and 81, who is Wiley, right, uh, kind of went zigzagging off the field, <laughs> an odd gate. Yeah, and this one was interesting because um, the, the, it was also, I think, the motion from Aquanquo that sort of um, – like there was the motion from Oconquo out and then Henry also going out in the flat created the sort of pulled the linebackers around a little bit. I know that I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but there was a defense back that went out with Oconquo, but it, it sort of pulled that side of the defense around a little bit and created that space. Um, and I did feel like there were times when um, the Titans had some pretty good, decent zone beaters um sort of drawn up and it happened again later on in the game with a Hopkins catch. Um so they 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 did a good job of that, I, I feel, um in some instances around the game, but not very many. Um and this was an interesting one early in the game because early in the it was funny coming out of the game and and sort of thinking actually there was a ton of pressures that the Ravens got in that game when Early on, there were a couple of signs where it looked like Tannehill was going to have a lot of time to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of those instances where sort of early in the game, I sort of sat back feeling like, 
we've given him probably too much time here to carve up the carve up the secondary, but actually, obviously, that completely changed around. But that was one of those instances, and interesting you charted it with the the ample time and space um, opportunity here. Yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, what did I all say? I want to say about that play? I, yeah, Eisen mentioning Hamilton leading with his shoulder. I thought Hamilton completely clean tackle on the play, by the way. And I know that, that you know Wiley stumbled off the field, so there is the thought that that you know he's taking a hit to the head. Any anytime anybody gets concussed, it's a defense's fault. Is the thought he just got hit by three players at the same time? Unfortunate set of circumstances. Absolutely nothing dirty the way Hamilton made that tackle. It's a it's very much a heads up tackle where he's not taking a chance in in terms of uh, helmet to helmet contact there. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into the ejection, but um, yeah, definitely not uh, the narrative that I would be. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel like that was. I, I agree with you. I think I think if anything, the league will look at that play and say you did this one right, you did that one wrong. There's a fine involved here, but we understand you're not a, a, a dirty player on any kind of pattern of behavior basis. All right, jump ahead seven sixteen. Um, uh, so. What do we got? We got another first down here. And uh, on this one, Matt BK pulled the right tackle Hubbard for a negated QH, unfortunately. But Tannehill went to Hopkins again, 22 yards uh, up the left sideline. A very late, I'm sorry, the uh, left hash, I should say, left numbers. Um, very late DPI called against 32. Flag came in forever after the play. You know, at the game, you really notice this thing when it's beat one, beat two, and then the flag comes in kind of thing afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was celebrating the incompletion <laughs> and did did not see the flag at all until one of the Titans fans in front of me started celebrating it. Um, this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Again, a little bit ticky-tacker, possibly not on second watch, not as egregious as the first one on this drive in terms of the, the call. I, I can see a bit more why this one was called. Um but still a little disappointing, uh, I would say, as a, as a Ravens fan. Steratore, they brought on for the for the broadcast, and he he said he agreed that the flag the flag should not have been called. That he thought it was an equal equal opportunity for the football. I forget the word exactly used. Equal rights, but it basically was more of a shoulder to shoulder play than playing through the back of the receiver, which is the thing they really are supposed to look for. And and Williams had the right the right to go for that ball too, and. Uh, and uh, he made a play on it, and, and it just uh, uh, obviously made the call. Move ahead, seven ten. Um, we're going to hear Matabike's number come up a lot. He bowled then shed uh, the left guard seventy seven. That's Skoronsky, um, and tackled uh, Henry for RL two. Really good generalized block shedding in this game from Matabike. He really controlled the line of scrimmage both as a pass rusher and as a as a run defender. Yeah, what what I, and we'll talk about sort of some other techniques he used later on in the game. But uh, what I liked was the the thing with Matabike. If we can spend just a minute on him, um, I'd be grateful. Again, I think uh, the the thing for me is with Matabike, 
when you talk to evaluate players and evaluate draft prospects and players in general, you know, one of the things you, you need to look at is, is play speed and play strength. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before play strength really is the, the, the equation is the addition of your, your core strength and your processing and your technique. And Madabike has always had that core strength, that explosive power that just was so obvious um, coming out in the draft. And he's shown that in his first couple of years with the Ravens. But you could see when you sort of looked at his game in depth, and I've done a couple of in-depth studies on Madabike over his time with the Ravens, where you just didn't quite see the technical refinement. And in some cases, the processing as well of the different types of uh, block he was facing, how to deconstruct those, uh, and specifically the different types of run he was facing um, to be able to deconstruct the block that was coming at him. What I've seen this season is a significant improvement, not only in his technical play, but also in his um, play, in in his block recognition, um, which has allowed him to to just be far more effective at the line of scrimmage, at the point of attack specifically. Now, Skoronsky has been okay in the league. He's not like, let's not get too carried away here. This is a, this is a, a okay interior offensive line, but Matabike absolutely demolished them with several different techniques to be able to, to break this down. This one specifically, you know, he very quickly recognized the outside zone um, play that was coming at him and he quick upfield burst was exceptional. The hand usage, exactly what you want to see in terms of placement and power. And Skoronsky was in the backfield and without having to do any kind of sort of um, traditional Ravens um, uh, gap play on the defensive line, he was able to take away two gaps just through his explosive power and running through Skoronsky into the backfield. And there was just that play had no chance because of Matabike on that play. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can deny space at least two ways, but the two, the two most obvious ones are one to two gap the player and hold him up so you can maintain the option to move left or right and also maintain space for a linebacker to come in behind you. Or you can penetrate, and that takes away vertical space from that running back, bifurcates the field very early and forces them to make a choice. And you hope then that they make a bad one or that they make a delayed one and you, you get a you get a better option there. Uh, yes. And we'll talk about a play later on where he actually uses the the other version, which where the Ravens uh, over the years have done a really great job of developing defensive linemen to be able to um, corkscrew their leg down to reduce their surface area to do that two gap technique. And he's had some trouble with that throughout the start of his career. Um, and he there's a textbook example of it later in the game, which hopefully I'll remember which play it was, but there is a textbook example of that later in the game from him. All right, outstanding here. So that took care of that play. We go to 625 of the first. Uh, and now let's see. I, I don't have the down and distance on this, unfortunately. But a 4-1 play, ample time and space. Um, we had an interesting play here because Van Noy was blocked 12-6, to but it seemed like he got a piece of Tannehill's jersey on the way by. I don't think it really distracted Tannehill the way you'd hope because he kept his eyes downfield. That's a big difference, by the way, between Tannehill and Willis. Willis cannot keep his eyes downfield. Anything goes wrong, nope, it's a shiny thing. He can't keep his eyes down the field at all. And the shiny thing could just be somebody else's white uniform. Uh, that's, that's, that's bothering him. So uh, in this case, uh, uh, he, he got a little piece of the sleeve, didn't didn't really appear to, to affect him. Um, and then 96, uh, Roderick Washington had a very late hands in the face after three seconds pressure but uh Tannehill still got the ball off into the end zone uh and it was intended for Westbrook and Kinney who who um 
Stevens was credited with a PD on the play. I think it was more of just a drop and too far behind the receiver, but Stevens made sure that ball was not received by driving through the receiver and, and separating from the yeah, and that's been one of the key improvements to Stevens' game, I feel, over the course of this season is, is, is his play at the catch point, um, something that we sort of maybe were a little concerned about uh, sort of going forward with him. But that's been the thing that's allowed him to play corner uh, at a higher level this year. I agree with you. I'm not sure that it was necessarily um, the most textbook in-phase coverage that you would have expected from Stevens, but that, that play at the catch point um, you know, really helped him on this play. Yeah, he's, he, you know, the thing I'm concerned about, I'm, 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 I'm less concerned about his physical play pretty much all the time. I think he's, he's, he's good there. It's, it's finding the football for yeah. Stevens has, has been the big problem. And uh, the, he has been one of the guys who's really benefited from basically the Ravens playing a ton of zone defense and having everybody looking back for the ball. This was a game where they played a lot more man. And they had a single high safety, and they had to because of the, the they hadn't been running attack. It actually should have really slowed the Ravens down in this game. And and you, you look at the six sacks, you look at the fact they got an interception from Stone on very much a recognition play where he undercut the receiver, and it didn't really in the end do as much damage as, as it might have. No, it really didn't. All right, let's move on. Now, last play of the drive, a four-zero ball out quick on a on a wide receiver screen to eleven. That's Chris Moore. Uh, he took the he took it for uh, six yards, minus one plus seven by the left sideline. Hamilton had a missed tackle at three, but then uh, Queen did one of his uh, three drive-ending plays of the game. He tackled uh, tackled uh, tackled Moore to force the field goal attempt. And there, I think they were inside the 10 yard line at that point when that happened. Trying to remember exactly where they were on the field. But anyway, they were, I think they were just outside the 10. Just outside. So it was a red zone failure, but not a, not a golden goal failure. Yeah. And I think what, what I loved about this play was this was, this is a, a nice textbook example of actually, uh, and this is like a bit of a theme of this discussion is that I do think a number of players on this defense have taken a step forward in terms of their development this, this year. And Queen is obviously one of them. We saw a lot of that development come through last year, but one of the things you see on this play specifically is, so uh, we'll talk about Tajay Spears when he, when he has that ridiculous um, catch and run, but Spears on this play is moved out, is moved out um, in motion out to the, to the right-hand side and Queen initially follows him out to the right-hand side. I haven't studied the play in depth enough to understand what Queen saw, but he he um, stops following him and changes direction very quickly. And one of the things you're seeing from Queen this year is that the game is just slowing down for him. Um, he's able to be much more patient and it means he's able to use that explosive ability that he has to get to the football. So this was a, a play where if you if you pause it and screenshot it um sort of just pre-snap you'll see queen moving in entirely the wrong direction to make a play on this on this on this um on the ball carrier and and the drive and then by the end of the play you you've got him making the play to 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 end the drive on a play that actually in the end looked like it was kind of well blocked up and might have been a a, a challenge for the ravens to stop it queen had to be the guy that got there to to make that tackle and he did and so that's the thing for for the for this Ravens defense is just Queen making those big time plays when they count, um, which was something we didn't see from him in the first couple of years, but we're certainly seeing from him this year. I mean, it, that's the kind of play where Queen could have messed it up in several different ways in the past. He could have gotten, he could have not not had the diagnosis component. He could have bitten on eye candy and, and been the wrong assignment as well, which I don't think was the case here anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, or or uh, even if he if he you know figured it out or, or or been quick enough to get back to the right position because the ball was a little off target or whatever, he still might have missed the tackle because that's who Patrick Queen was in the past. Patrick Queen has cleaned up an awful lot about his game, and I know there's a lot of talk around Baltimore about resigning him at this point. I don't think it's a practical decision for the Ravens to make. I think it's probably not practical on a couple levels. Unfortunately, I think the same is probably stu- true for Geno Stone as well, that um, if they wanted to get him, they needed to do it before the year. They, they couldn't They couldn't wait to this point if they if they want to sign him for some additional times and have him be one of those lifetime special teams guys. But uh, uh, both those guys have priced him out of town. Matt Abike honestly probably has as well. Um, and I think if, if the Ravens were to somehow get one of them, my guess is the guy they might want is Matt Abike. Um, of the three of them, I think they, they've been too great at um, finding safeties exactly as they need. And they've been also um, very good at platooning the weak side linebacker spot, which I think they might go back to next year if they don't have Queen. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You you sort of look at the the modus operandi over the years when when they had um, Ray Lewis around and you know were able to fill in um, on that other on that other inside linebacker position. Um, to me, the key is Mike McDonald mm-hmm. um, because I, I think you know if he does get a head coaching gig, which at this point. The, the only thing that will stop him from getting a head coach, the only two things that might stop him from getting a head coaching gig is that he's very young still. Um, and also that he's a defensive guy. Um, but if someone is smart enough to give him a head coaching job, um, it changes the, it changes the equation slightly. Um, but I agree with you. I think I'm not necessarily sure it's the wisest investment of the resources that the Ravens have, particularly when you're faced with a, a, a question on the defensive line, that is has been exposed in this game where you, if you don't have the kind of competent depth there with so if you don't have washington and urban and the competent depth on that interior defensive line and you then don't have somebody who's as much of a game wrecker as Madabike can be on the interior then you start to struggle on the defensive line um, and i think the that that sort of strength on the defensive line has helped the 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 lack of availability on the outside, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it, I think you're right in the sense that I would I would prioritize Madabike, but unfortunately I think Madabike probably is going to if he continues on this trajectory he's going to be the most expensive of the three. He'll be the most expensive, yeah, he could be a twenty million dollar guy potentially if if uh, if he turns in the kind of series season he's on pace for. Um, it's incredible because he started off the year with a bunch of penalties. Honestly, he was not playing that well the first couple of games, and, and he's really turned it on. And he's, he's playing at a higher level. Let's jump ahead, go to the second series of the game. Um, Tennessee starts out with a, uh, a, a two-yard uh, run. Uh, it's a good one where Harrison wins the right edge versus a tight end. There's a lot of this going on in this game. Forces Henry inside. 97 of Urban and, and Roquan Smith clean it up. And this is this is where Urban suffers this injury. So we're still very last play of the first quarter. Urban is out and lost for the game with what they've now uh, classified as a stinger. Oh, that's that's good. I hadn't seen it that. Is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so because this was this was, you know, to the textbook, Brent Urban just holding up at the point of attack and and uh and just not being moved and and being able to be there to clean it up. I agree with you, the the guy who made this um from an assist perspective really was Malik Harrison. And you know, we talked about him a little bit, but you're right, you just can't block the the great thing about Malik Harrison is you can't block him with a tight end. Um like you, you're gonna have to have one of the best blocking tight ends in the league if you're gonna get him blocked up with a tight end um, and that really restricts what offenses can do against against the Ravens 
Yeah, it's one of the reasons you can't block Harrison with tight end is he's not looking to do the things that a premier pass rusher is looking to do. So he's not looking to run himself out of the play. And offensive linemen tackles love it. They just love it when the defensive end runs themselves out of the play like that. But you know who loves it even more is tight ends because they got less to work with in terms of that. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very good point about it. Uh, we'll start the second quarter at 15 minutes here, and uh, we got a second and eight play. Uh, Tannehill uh, with a with a 4-1 uh, pass rush in, got the ball out quickly uh, to I know, Westbrook Kinney, but this is a Conquo. I misread the number as I was taking notes. Anyway, pass left for seven yards. Um, this is a game. This is a play again where Harrison is trailing in coverage. Not an ideal coverage situation for him, as as you said, matched up against a tight end. But he does a pretty good job of pushing him out of bounds to just short of the of the line to gain, which ends up being important. Yeah, and I think this was the thing I was talking about earlier, wasn't it? That that you know you you, you can have him in coverage against a guy like Chico Conquo and be and be Chico Conquo is pretty, pretty athletic actually. So and he will be just good enough to get the job done, um, and that's that's kind of what happened here. Um, so I think uh, this is you know it's a good example of that of that play of the the sort of standard of play that you get from Harrison in the in the past game. Third and one comes up, fourteen twenty five, direct snap to Henry. Uh, Henry runs right for 14 yards, looks like a big play, and all of a sudden I see the flag come out. I go, got to be illegal motion, illegal formation, illegal motion, illegal formation. Sure enough, it's illegal formation. And odd one, because normally it's because tackles are off the line of scrimmage and you only have six left the line of scrimmage. In this case, Petit Frere is up on the line of scrimmage as the eighth man. Very unusual. Uh, I almost never see that one, um, but he got the flag and he was covering up the tight end in that situation. So uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, was flagged for it. Yeah, and one of the few other occasions, right, where the 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 Titans were able to get a um, uh, do a good job on the Ravens in terms of blocking up uh, one of those Derrick Henry runs. They have like a th- almost like a three man wedge in the middle that sort of uh, gummed up the middle for the Ravens, and uh, it meant that the uh, I think there was a puller coming round uh, that was able to get um, a hat on a hat, sort of get keep Queen pinned inside. And I think Hamilton got a little bit lost and it was just one of those plays where the Ravens didn't quite play it um, as effectively as, as they had done in some of those other, other plays. So uh, yeah, a really, really nice play for the Ravens there for the penalty. Titans and yeah. unfortunate penalty. Yeah. So anyway, that brought up third and five. Uh, it was, it was third. It was really third and inches. So they called it third and one, but it's really third and five and inches, obviously after the play. Um, and uh, got Clown AC in his first really big action of the game. Beats uh, the left tackle. 71 is mm, – got to remind myself of who that is because he got a um, from the game. Dillard. Okay, yeah, Dillard, yeah. Yeah. So, so he, uh, he beat him inside for a very fast quarterback hit. Uh, on that same play, Van Noy stunting uh, was picked up by the center in that A-gap, but – he also got his hands up in the air and got a pass defense at the line of scrimmage just as the quarterback hit was happening. So that forced a punt between the two of them. Not the last time that would happen in this game. Yeah, and, and as you say, the stunt the stunt was key. Um, I th- and, and it was the the tactic that was used uh, to, to the best effect for the Ravens throughout this game. And um, uh, yeah, Clowney just sort of, Clowney showing that he's, he his game is so different to what it was last year. You know, when you, when you watch him, it, 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 
I, you can't put your finger on it, but it's just a, it's a different lease on life. He's playing faster. He's he looks at his explode like sort of back to his explosive self. And so, w- what's end what's ending up happening is it, offensive tackles are having to respect the well the thing that they're really having to respect is the thing that you've always had to respect with Jadavian Clowney, which is that. Uh, is that so those power moves, the the coming straight through on the bull rush or a long arm that you you, you always have to respect those. But he, because of that explosive ability, he, he sort of it means they have to respect other things too. So so the the offensive tackle on this in this rush, it, I think it was an inside move that Clowney got the offensive tackle with. Um, so yeah. you know he's he's being able to win in different ways, which is not something we've necessarily seen from him over the last year or two. So uh, he's a different guy this year. Um, yeah. I have a little bit of a theory that goes with this. His con has been basically a 4-3 end for his almost his entire career. And even though he often plays in a nickel where the Ravens have four up front, the Ravens are much more creative about bringing extra men, which has created additional flash for him to work off of. It's not always on his side. Sometimes it's on the other side, but it may distract a running back. It may, may take a chipper away from him. There's just been more opportunities for Clowney to get there in time. And the other thing that's great about it is – with zone defense, you got more time. You got more time to get in on that quarterback. And then all he has to do is create a problem for that quarterback. Doesn't have to get the sack. And that's certainly been the case so far this year. He hasn't been the guy who's finished all the time, but he's been a guy who's gotten a lot of first pressures and has been the been the one who set up a sack for somebody else. All right, let's move ahead here. So that ended that drive. We they get the ball again at 10-13 of the second. Uh, let's see. What do we have go on here? Uh, Henry ran for six yards. Nice block by Aconquo on Roquan Smith. Um, the, the center and the left guard both blocked Pierce together, which is a, you know, a, a tough double for him to stand up to. Um, and looks like the left tackle took care of Matt BK to lead that RM6. Yeah, and this this yet again was another example of Patrick Queen's um, elevated level of play, where he he takes away the initial gap because uh, he fills the initial gap that Henry is trying to get the the, the ball into, and then Henry obviously you know is back. is a is a great is a great running back and is able to cut back quickly, but Queen is then able to to strafe across that double team and get across and make the play on Henry, um, which again is another example of the play that we've seen from Queen and the thing that you mentioned where he sort of cleaned up a lot of the elements of his game and he's able to make a tackle on, on one of the hardest running backs to tackle in the, in the NFL. All right. Second and three, another good stand-up play by Matt Abike, who st- stood up and shed the right tackle Hubbard on this play, tackled Tajay Spears for a one-yard gain. Really good job also by Harrison again. We're going to keep hearing those names. Uh, Shedding the tight end. This is 86, the tight end. I forget who he is. Uh, he lined up as a fullback on the play, but uh, but uh, Harrison's able to take care of him and hold that right edge and then act, actually also assist on the tackle uh, with Matt Abike. So what's nice here is that this is the, one of the examples. I think there's a second example, but this is one of the examples where um, Matt Abike is able to corkscrew his leg. And this time it, it isn't a... It isn't one where he sort of occupies the double team. It's it's where he gets the tight end to entirely whiff on the double team, mm-hmm. um, which allows him to to um, stay uh, to control the, to continue to control the point of attack. Um, so that's a, a, a really nice play from Matabike. Something that I think in the past he would have been a little bit sort of bull in a china shop, not really understanding that that was the the design of the play. 
um, to kind of pin him using the tight end. But he saw that coming very quickly, corkscrewed his leg. There was no surface area for that tight end to hit, completely whiffed and had to go up to the second level. But he hadn't got enough of a seal on Matabike to to, um, to get that the running pack past the line of scrimmage, and, and that's that killed the play. All right. That brought up third and three. Uh, we have another Matabike pass rush uh, contribution here. Now he's stunted past the left tackle Dillard. Uh, nice pick by Van Noy as the under guy on that play. Been a lot of, there's some great picks in this game. And, and I, I talk about this every once in a while on the show, but the, the, the pick player, the underneath player on a stunt, oftentimes will have the best opportunity to rush the passer afterwards because basically those two guys who were on him initially, because he, he's initially trying to draw the attention of two blockers, will each have a bad angle on their block, each take basically half at a 45-degree angle. And when one has to peel off, then that usually creates a really good pressure up to you. So it's oftentimes the under guy, even though you wouldn't think it, and gets the really good pass rush opportunity. But here, Matabike was too quick um, and, uh, and uh, stunted past for the quarterback hit. Uh, and let's see what else we have here. Through to, through to 18, um, forgetting who that is, but uh, is, he's, he's the, the guy who had some bad plays on the puck, the bad play on the puck return. Uh, oh, um, oh. I've got to it. Just give me a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. I should have the roster my, up right now when we're going to be talking about my this numbers of the games. No, it's not your point. Phillips. Phillips, yeah, Cal Phillips. But, but um, anyway. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like this was a double stunt as well. I feel like there was a stunt on the other side as well. And Clowney, uh, if I remembered it correctly, maybe it was a different play. Yeah, Clowney, that's the point. Yeah, Clowney also had a really good pick on this specific play because I completely agree with you. There were Here's there were so many, yeah, there were so many picks in this game that were that were really really great. And I think Clowney had a really good one on this one as well that could have freed Pierce, but obviously Pierce nowhere near as, uh, as fleet of foot as Matabike, so I uh, didn't get there as quickly. But yeah, this was that was a good pick too. He's got big man quickness. He's he's been uh, <laughs> you know this is this is one of the odd things. Ravens history is now quite long. So there's, you know, we're in the 28th season of this team. So it's not like lot, lot, there's a whole generation of Ravens fans who don't know the 1996 Ravens, but the early Ravens had a, had a nose tackle, James Jones, who stunted the most of any Ravens defensive lineman in their entire history and, and stunted the most as the over. You'd think, you know, well, maybe he'd be an under, you know, maybe he'd be more natural fit for that. Uh-uh. Uh, Marvin Lewis used it as an over all the time. He was pr- fairly effective as a pass rusher. He had a high of about five, five and a half sacks. Um, and uh, pretty hell of a player, but uh, uh, definitely from the unknown Ravens years that almost everything in the Ravens uh, media guide now says since 2000, since 2000, since 2000, when they're putting together tables of information for uh, for obvious reasons. All right, let's see where were we? We had that ended that drive, so that forced another punt. Uh, we go to Q2 328 to get the ball back. Um, they got a, a 4-1 ample time and space play. Tannehill throws to 10, so that's Hopkins again for 20 yards, 15 plus 5, one circle. I know you had some things to say about this, but but Roquan Smith was the closest underneath as I saw it. Six came back and tackled, made the tackle with an assist from Roquan. Yeah, that was that was what I saw. I, I feel on this one, this was another um, like a nice example of a zone beater that they that they had drew, drawn up, um, drawn up nicely. Uh, it was again. Basically, the, the, the Titans over the years have used Derrick Henry really, really nicely as a decoy coming out of the backfield, and it and it and it sort of when you do play zone coverage against them, it kind of stretches. Um, it sort of it, it really affects your zones um, because you're you sort of always some feel like 
a lot of defenders will always have half an eye on on Derrick Henry just in case you need a you need a gang to to bring him down. So it always kind of affects the zones uh, a little bit, uh, and that was a good example of that on this on this play. And then the the thing that they that they did was they got a you know they've gone out and got a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins who who is who is expert at finding the soft spots in the zone, um, and you're you know he's going to find those all day long and sit down and, and with a veteran quarterback you're going to be able to connect on those. Uh, it was impressive from the Ravens that there weren't more of these through the game. Um, I think that was a feature of the way uh, Mike McDonald chose to play this game, as you've mentioned before, with sort of single high coverage and doing things a little bit differently to what they've done over the course of the season so far. But I think it was also a feature of the, of the play of the guys on the field. Um, yeah, that, that meant that that was the case. Right. It, did, it definitely... The Titans were a more difficult matchup for the Ravens, a different matchup than they've had so far. You know, a quarterback who really knew how to kind of take advantage of these things and, and a quarterback you can't just sit in a zone against. So uh, uh, it was was both the problem. But a running back more that you just can't sit it too high, I guess. Uh, let's move ahead to 246. Really nice play from Michael Pierce here. Bulls the center two yards into the backfield. Harrison, again, a nice play shedding the tight end. Wesco on the, on the right edge. Uh, and assisted Queen on a cleanup of of uh, Henry for a one yard run. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> talking about Patrick Queen is just going to get a hold here, but you know, I, I think you're right. The 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 um, you know it was a really great um, from from Michael Pierce, who who I feel has had a really really good season mm-hmm. um, so far, and so that to me was a, a nice example of the play from him. And we talked about Lee Harrison so far, but again from Queen. You know, it's it's not exactly a, a gaping hole that he's running through there, but he's a he's so quick on the trigger um, to get to get into that. He's understood the play very quickly, the rec- play recognition. Uh, he's clearly been doing his film study. You know exactly what was coming there, and he shoots the gap hard um, and gets in the you know and makes the play. So again, just again another great example of a, of a Patrick Queen play in this game. One of the good things we've seen from Queen in this game, I thought more than probably any previously, was good form tackling. Uh, He's using his arms to tackle, whereas even earlier this season, although he sometimes got away with it, you know, driving into somebody with your shoulder, missing entirely because you try and drive in with your shoulder. It's one of the things you we have arms gives you wingspan, gives you less of a chance to miss on that tackle. You might might miss the tackle because you can't wrap up. But you you you're, you probably won't miss the tackle on the initial contact when, you, when it looks really terrible that you do it. All right, so very next play, second and nine, four one pass rush. Clowney beat the the right tackle uh, seventy seven. It can't be. It's got to be the right guard seventy seven because that's Br- yeah. that's uh, Brunsky. No, it's that's Skronsky. I know what it was. We 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 noted this back and then I went back and looked at it. Skronsky pulled on the play to the right. And he was then outside the right tackle on a pass play. And uh, anyway, 24 beat him. uh, But then he had to step over this Queen and Henry pileup that had occurred to get what must have been a very late QH. Now, you've seen the All-22 on this. And I I, I had a note to go back and look at the All-22, but I didn't do it yet. Did did the quarterback actually go down on this play? Because I didn't see it happening. It didn't look like it was going to happen. I think think he nearly went down, but then sort of stepped back out of it, I think. Uh, I think. Okay, so Connie's credited as a, PA, as a QH in the game book uh, on this one anyway. Maybe he did. Maybe it was somebody else that went down. Maybe he did. Hmm. And then the nice undercut from 32. What I, one of the ones I thought was one of the big plays of the first half. 
him showing not only can I can I have the range to play single high on the back end and, and get to a play, and this was over close to the right numbers, so it was looking like a you know a fairly long distance uh, diagnosis for him. And but he not only got there, but undercut the play, got his hand on the ball. Even as you watch the thing on the broadcast, it looks like it's complete to Okakwo, but nope, football's on the ground. Yeah, well, this is a great example of the. <laughs> What would have been, what would have been with Marcus Williams, which is the the versatility of the guy. So you know he played with the Saints for 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 four four five years. Did they tag him? I think it was five. Yeah. So they, he played with the Saints for five years. Uh, who play single high? Did play at the time single high most of the time, and with a very deep alignment for their for their post post safety. And that was Marcus Williams for for five years for the Saints. And you when you watched his tape when the Ravens signed him as a free agent, he he got to balls that he had no right to get to. Um and that was through his technique. He's able to unlock his hips in 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 it's just very fluid hips. He can unlock those really quickly. Um but also the main way in which he gets those balls, which is his his processing ability, which is off the charts good. Um and uh that was on display in this in this in this instance. He cheated slightly over to the to the left hash. Um, to make the play but that was that was good fundamentals to to understand that he could do that um and then obviously broke on the ball uh you know just instantaneously he's such he's got such a quick trigger um and so to get there uh you know as you say was was great i i like i said I, i'd love to have seen a two-armed marcus williams because maybe that gets picked um but this this was one of the things that he hasn't been asked to do as much as a Raven um, as he was the Saints. It was constant, constantly playing p- playing the post for the Saints. Um, and obviously he's played a lot more split safety duties for the Ravens um, and has also been a little bit more around the line of scrimmage. Uh, he was very deep, as I mentioned, with his alignment for the Saints. But this was a good example of, of what he used to do for the Saints regularly. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was a great play from him. Yeah, I, it's just, you mentioned the single high, but it's almost unfair what the Ravens can do in in splitting the back end between Williams and anybody, really. I mean, and all three of them have been great. But Stone, obviously, is terrific instincts. You know, the pick he got against Cincinnati in particular, pure instinct play. He actually read the play wrong off the line of scrimmage, but he didn't he didn't read uh, he didn't read the quarterback wrong. <laughs> he got exactly the right play. Uh, you know. It, it, Daryl Worley was in there for a game and a quarter, roughly, or a game and a few plays, and was terrific. Terrific tackler, good positioning. The guy had been a corner for most of his career, but there was actually talk of him going to safety because he was too slow when he first came out. You know, four six guy, and and uh, and they, you know, he, he just fit there perfectly. I, I, I was heartbroken to see Daryl Worley hurt, and, and then you have uh, Hamilton, of course, who, who was really known in college for being a lot faster than his 40 time, having great instincts and, and, you know, enormous range, but he's so valuable. You'd love to bring him up into the nickel because you can can do so many other things for you. Um, It's just unfair what the Ravens can present on the back end of cover two and how much that improves what otherwise would be some very limited corners. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think the, the thing for me with, with, uh, I, I would agree with you. I was devastated about Wooly because you, know, you love a guy and that kind of story that's kind of worked worked so hard to to get to 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 where he is. The the thing with Geno Stone, I, I sometimes I, I know like you have to kind of self scout yourself, and so I know sometimes when I evaluate players, I sometimes over evaluate um, 
that the processing side of the game, the instincts, instinctive side of the game, and and don't necessarily take into account enough the the athleticism required to play the game at certain positions. Um, and so I try to to do that, which is why I end up loving when a guy like Geno Stone actually contributes on the field in the NFL because you know he. He he is athletically limited, but he you know he's he's because he, Marcus Williams isn't exactly the the most athletic guy in the world. He's like I said, he's very fluid in terms of his body movements, but actually his straight line speed isn't the isn't the greatest. Uh, but Geno Stone is is worse still um, in terms of the in terms of his his, his speed. Um, but you know, play speed is is off the charts for him because of the well not off the charts but it's a, it's it's serviceable for him because of how good he is at, at instinctively and processing the game and so to have him and marcus williams i agree just in a split safety role just isn't really fair especially when you've got cal hamilton playing the nickel yeah. and doing what he does best which is moving forward towards the football um you you know you you've got a you've got a great tandem and it'll be a shame to to if if marcus williams does have to have the surgery and and we sort of miss out on that going forward yeah I, I i i do think safety is one of the rare positions you can actually fill at midseason and not have a huge drop off in play because it's an instincts position because i mean Jerron Harmon was still available after the season started for what a couple of weeks so it, that's a great pickup he would he would exactly meet the ravens need right now of course he's, he's gone now but the ravens have had a tremendous history of finding safeties that uh, that can provide them something all right tell you what we're going to come back and do part two of this. We're going to try and do it a little faster, but we're having a lot of fun with this. I, I, I hope you're having as much fun as I am, James. It seems like it from your, yeah. your uh, there. But I want you to tell folks where they can find your work online, first of all. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, my handle is at NFL Ogden. Um, I've sort of rolled back some of my <laughs> content over the course of this year. I've just had a new baby uh, who's uh, five months old now. So uh, doing less content, but I will... Uh, Always try and get out my draft guide every year, and that'll come out around uh, April time uh, with lots of analysis on the prospects coming out of the draft and specifically how they fit with the Ravens, which I think is something that's sort of missing from lots of draft guides. You're able to see analysis of players, but not necessarily how they'll fit with your favorite team. And obviously our favorite team is the Ravens. So I try to um, to give give people a sense of how those prospects sort of stack up uh, when they come into Baltimore. So that's the kind of thing that you'll see the most. But the other place you can hear me talk every week is the UK Ravens podcast, uh, which releases every Thursday. All right. Outstanding. If you get, if you get over to the UK, make sure you, you spend some time with those guys when you can. They're probably having an event next time the Ravens play there. Uh, hopefully it won't be for a number of years. I'm, I'm always in favor of, of it, of it being as long as possible between London trips. I think it's a big disadvantage, but the big, the big fun of course is getting to go over there to see the, see the UK Ravens folks. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up on Twitter. I've got some great stuff that's come across uh, on Twitter, but DMs are always open. And uh, and uh, I will get back to you very quickly about your idea, and we'll try and see if we can make that into an episode because, uh, hey, that's how I create a lot of my content. James, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.